Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who was a seven-time All-Star, two-time National League batting title, was the 1978 League's Most Valuable Player, member of two World Championship teams with the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1979, Oakland Athletics in 1989. He was the first professional athlete to earn an average of $1 million per year, having signed a five-year, $5 million contract in January of 1979. His career achievements include 2,712 hits, 339 home runs, 1,493 runs batted in, a lifetime batting average of 290. He won three consecutive gold lug gloves during his prime. From 1975 to 79, he threw out 72 runners, including 26 in 1977. He was such an iconic figure in the game that at times he went by only one name, Cobra, which is the title of his great new autobiography, co-written with Dave Jordan. It is truly a thrill to welcome the one and only Cobra, Dave Parker, to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Dave. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good. You know, I have to start this interview to tell you a little brief story because Basically, I have waited 14,185 days for this interview. 38 years ago, 38 years ago, believe it or not, Wednesday, June 9th, 1982, you're coming in from shagging fly balls in the outfield. I'm covering the Met game. I approach you and I go, hey, Dave, you got time for a short interview? And you go, no, was that short enough? And you just kept walking. So hopefully this interview is going to be worth that wait. No, it won't work that way this time. Right. All right. So let's get to this book. Your book starts off with an apology to Pete Rose. Why was it important for you to start the book there? Okay, I remember that. Yeah. But um, I I flew back and forth from Pittsburgh every day to be on the field for Pete doing that championship head he got. So I was uh, around Pete and there for him during that time. You also mentioned that you had so much confidence behind you for all sports because when you entered high school, you're six foot four, 224 pounds. You, you basically scored 20 points a game in basketball. You rushed for at least 100 yards plus a touchdown every week in football. You're the starting catcher in, in your baseball team. You pitched as well. But you said that football was your number one sport. And you really dreamed of, you know, playing for Ohio State. But so many things happened. You get injured. Your girlfriend, Deborah, becomes pregnant, which weighed heavily. You know, do you ever wonder what your life might have been if you didn't get injured and you continued on in football? Well, I would have probably <clears throat> followed the trail of sports. But, you know, Ohio State was something that I really wanted to do. And you really not read the book because you mentioned Deborah. Deborah was my high school girlfriend and the mother of my oldest daughter. Right. I I read it from cover to cover. I loved it. I absolutely loved the book. Yeah. And and we always make sure that we read the books when guys come on. Um, you know. So it always interests me because you really were a force in football. It would have been interesting, but. You also had an early tryout at Crosley Field, uh, and Pete Rose was actually looking on at that time. The Reds wanted to sign you 
but you were only in 10th grade. Growing up a Reds fan, what was that tryout like for you, knowing that you might have been able to fulfill that dream of playing for your, your hometown team? Well, I, you always dream of playing for your hometown team. Uh, I think every kid in America has done that. So, so later on, you actually get a tryout with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, but you may not have ma- ever made that tryout had it not been for a choice that you actually made sitting in Mr. Boggs' English class. Can you tell our audience about the choice you had to make to get to that tryout? Well, it was either stay there and miss the tryout or, or go to the tryout and have Mr. Boggs upset at me for <laughs> a day or two. But I, I, I chose baseball. <laughs> Definitely the Pirates game. Mr. Boggs' loss was your ga- the Pirates game for sure. Uh, because they end up drafting you in the 14th round of the 1970 Major League Baseball Amateur Draft. Um, you don't get that opportunity to play for your hometown Reds to start your career, but you do get the chance to break into the majors with the great Roberto Clemente as your mentor. Uh, that's a pretty good consolation prize for sure. What did Roberto mean to you, both baseball and life-wise? Well, he was um, called a great one, and they did that for a reason, because he was great on and off the field. He always extended himself to help people. You know, that shows you what he was as a a person. And uh, he taught me how to reach back and get more velocity out of my throws than what I was getting. Because as a catcher, you short on the ball. You don't really reach back and, and maximize the throw. And he taught me how to reach back. And uh, I ended up winning some assist titles because of that. I had 21 assists one year. And it was all about reaching back and throwing the ball with velocity. You know, what I found fascinating about the book is you also detail a lot of the interactions and calculations that run through a player's mind during spring training. Back in, in Pirate City 1971, you size up the competition, but there's a, a particular moment that you talk about in that camp that stood out to me. I, I just you know, gave me chills. You're taking BP, you're hitting, you know, basically hitting screaming line drives all over the place, the ones that you not only see, but you also hear. And as you get out of the box, an elderly man says to you, I never saw anything like that in my life. You got some swing, son. You're going to be special one day. Do you remember who that person was and what that meant to you? Well, it was uh, Pat Trainer, I believe. Yes. Pat Trainer told me he's never seen anybody hit a line drive like me. Uh, closest one was Stardew. And Stardew could hit some line drives because I used to hate being on first base for a single with him hitting four. You know, so a pie trainer gave me that great compliment. A legendary pie trainer. I have to imagine, you know, hearing that as a kid from a, one of the greatest third basemen to ever play the game was something special. We touched on what Roberto Clemente meant to you, but you go into such great detail about Doc Ellis in the book, about the things he taught you about being a, a big leaguer. And there are so many of our young listeners that really only hear about the both famous and infamous, you know, no hitter that Doc threw. But can you share more about Doc so they can truly understand what he meant to you and, and the game of baseball? Well, Doc was a very positive guy, a leader, uh, didn't mind putting himself on the line uh, for, for things that he believed in. And uh, he was a heck of a pitcher. He had a fastball that ran in the right-handers and ran away the left-handers. 
And uh, he was just uh, an outstanding individual and a, and a very good pitcher. There's a quote in the book from Manny Sanguin, uh, maybe one of the most underrated catchers of the era. He said, so me and Roberto were sitting in the dugout in McKenkey Field, watching our teammates play an exhibition game in 1972. It's late innings. Verdon was playing most of the rookies. We watched Dave make a running catch. Then he made this strong throw from center to home plate on a fly. Roberto pushed himself off the bench as he's laughing. I asked him, what's so funny? He said, that's my replacement out there. I said, what are you talking about? I laughed back. He's not in your position. Roberto stopped laughing and just smiled. He walked past me. I know a right fielder when I see one. Roberto was right, but the circumstances were not the way anyone would expect. New Year's Eve 1972, baseball loses one of the greats of the game. What did the tragic loss of Roberto do to that clubhouse as far as leadership? Well, it's sad, sad enough as an organization and a team. You know, Roberto's uh, death was devastating to the city of Pittsburgh, uh, the Pirates, me, myself. And, uh, you know, losing him had an effect on society altogether. You know, you detailed the way Willie Stargell evolved into a team leader and the voice of that team, but you, you detail how that first year was very difficult for Willie. How did you see the great Willie Stargell evolve into a team leader? Well, Willie didn't speak a whole lot in the early stages, but he uh, loosened up quite a bit. You know, he uh, always had a practical joke, uh, verbalized a lot, um, was a universal personality because, I mean, if you couldn't like Willie, you couldn't like nobody. Yeah. Willie was uh, very instrumental to me, like Roberto was, and having those two guys mentor you is the best thing that you possibly have done. One of the things I learned from the book that I did not know in, until I read it was you look at your contract and you add in all the perks and the bonuses, you were actually the first $1 million per year athlete in all of pro sports. What significance did that have for you then, and does it hold greater significance now, considering you know where salaries have gone from that point? Well, salaries are off the roof now. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm thinking in terms of what I did with the million dollar salary is, is basically pocket change, and uh, I revolutionized salary. That's another thing that you can play on throw on my resume. Uh, it, it, it was great to, to have that title, and, and, and it was great to, to basically do something that people identify to for the rest of your life. One play that Met fans will never forget was in 1978. The Mets take a 6-3 lead into the ninth inning. You triple to drive in two runs, making a 6-5 game with one out. Bill Robinson flies out to Bruce Beauclair. You tag up. John Stearns, a former middle linebacker in college, is blocking the plate as you tagged up at third base and ran full speed. Can you pick up the rest of the play from there and what you remember about that? I remember him smiling. <laughs> had this very comfortable smile on his face. And uh, my football came in, in the play, and I said, smile, take this. And I hit my face on the side of his head. <laughs> and I saw him, and when I was coaching with the Cardinals, he was with Baltimore, and I'm going to take my guys down the hit, and he's coming back with his guys. And he said, uh, hey, Dave, how's that jaw coming? 
I said, it's coming fine. I said, but I played 14 more years. How long did you play? <laughs> That's awesome. So, oh. We uh, had an exchange. <laughs> There's another great story concerning the Mets. It's the brawl they had with the Reds, which started with Ray Knight and Eric Davis, uh, which is pretty cool. You, you mentioned that you actually drove to the hotel after that game. But I've been told that there's another story that didn't make the book that concerned Wally Backman. Can you share your Wally Backman story with us? Um, well, something happened <clears throat> during the game. And uh, I think I hit a home run, and I was doing my trot. And uh, he had some comment about me doing my trot. And uh, that kind of lasted the whole series. And I had a play where he had to field the ball from the shortstop, and he had his back to me. And I just slid, and he rolled up my leg, and he gave me a dirty look. He didn't have too much to say, but uh, he uh, evidently knew that I wasn't the type of guy that you want to say anything about. <laughs> you you win your first World Series, 1979, beating the Big Red Machine on your way. Did beating the Reds have any added significance to you? Yeah, because they knocked us off for about three or four years uh, in the playoffs. And the Red Machine kept us from getting that playoff and that playoff money and just uh, the notoriety of being uh, the division champions. And uh, the Reds knocked us out about three years, and we finally got them in 79. Another relationship that you go into great detail in the book is your very close relationship with your longtime agent, Tom Reich. Um, You noticed Tom early on in your career as he worked with Doc Ellis. What was it about Tom that drew you to him, and what made him such an important figure in your life? Well, I got introduced to Tom through Doc Ellis, and uh, he was like top dog in being an agent, and I needed an agent, and I might as well remember the best at the time, and that was Tom. So, obviously, aside from the greatness you possessed on the field during your career— you also included some pretty big mistakes, including drug problems, which started as pain management. When reflecting on those mistakes during the process of doing this book with Dave, what were some of your thoughts? And did you do you ever reflect on that and think how any of it could have been avoided, if at all? It was a, a society thing. Everybody was doing it. And uh, I was um, around people in the medical profession, music, music profession. And it was just something that uh, happened. I, I I thought it was a fad. I thought it was something that was going to last for a short period of time and, and be be done with. But it didn't. And I've seen it affect uh, quite a few guys' lives. And uh, like I said, I thought it was a fad. So how much of those issues do you think have affected your bid for the Hall of Fame? Currently, there are 26 right fielders in the Hall of Fame. You rank 15th out of that group in hits, ahead of, for example, you know, Vladimir Guerrero. You rank 10th in extra base hits, 11th in home runs, 13th in RBIs. So does it surprise you that you're not in the Hall of Fame? Yes, it do. I couldn't do no more. I mean, my father told me to win everything at least once, and I, I think I did. I got 
three Golden Gloves, two batting titles, two World Championships, three Silver Bats. Uh, I've done everything that you can do as a, a major league player. Somebody needs to find out from the uh, committee, Hall of Fame committee, why I'm not in the Hall. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the quotes in the book, which I, I think is, it couldn't be more dead on than this. You, you write, they got no idea what it takes to play 160 games a year for two decades. They like make snot, they make snotty, uninformed remarks about compilers. They don't know. They can't grasp the human wear and tear or near constant travel, the emotional exhaustion. Those folks can't comprehend what it takes to get here. So, you know, that being said, aside from you, there's another guy on that Pirates team who I feel gets overlooked all the time as well for the Hall, and that's Al Oliver. Why do you think that Al Oliver is overlooked when it comes to the Hall? I don't know, but he's one heck of a hitter. He was one of the best line drive hitters that ever played the game. Uh, we talk about Al, and uh, I used to and just watch him hit line drives and how he approached hitting and tried to steal some of his stuff. I'd cut down with two strikes, you know, but Al was a, a very smart hitter. There's a couple of the show also streams live, and there's a couple of questions in the chat room. One from uh, David DeConnick. You want to know what size, how many ounce bat did you use when you played? 37 ounces, 37 inches. <laughs> Pretty big. Um, you know, we could probably spend several shows on this book in your career. Um, you detail the tragic story of your good friend and Houston Astros ace J.R. Richard. You, you spend a lot of time with your time with the Reds and, and Marge Schott, your longtime relationship with your hero friend and then teammate and manager Pete Rose. Uh, let's stop with, with Pete Rose because this is one of the things that for years, and as long as we're talking about the Hall of Fame, you know, for me, Pete Rose was the greatest hitter that I have ever seen in my entire life. Granted, he broke the golden rule of baseball. I don't believe he ever bet against his team. I'm 100% sure that he never threw a game. Do you believe that Pete belongs in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I think Pete should be be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's the hit king, for God's sake. I mean, that, that title speaks for itself. You also detail in the book as well your role as a mentor to rising stars Eric Davis, Barry Larkin, and Gary Sheffield. How much of that role and some of the things that you showed them came from both Pops Willie Stargell and Roberto Clemente? Well, I inherited stuff from them both. You know, I took the they were all had great things about them, and it was just a matter of picking one or two, and I, I would choose both of them. Another question that someone wanted to ask is, who was the toughest pitcher you faced in your career? Steve Carlton. Punched me out more than anybody I ever faced. But uh, I hit more home runs off of him than any pitcher I ever faced. <laughs> so it's a crazy stat, you know, is he the feast of famine with him? Interesting. Um, like I said, so much jammed into this amazing book. Where can people get this great book? You can get this book at Dave Parker 39 Foundation, Amazon. You can pick it up, Walmart, Barnes & Noble. 
Dave, like I said, it, it took 14,000 days, but I finally got you for an interview. It was well worth the wait. I appreciate it. And, you know, now I'm never going to be able to use that story again now that I finally interviewed you. But, I, you know, the, the flip side of that story was when you said no, Willie Stargell was available and I was able to go and speak to Willie. So it, it did have a, a decent ending that day. Yeah, he showed me up by being the nice guy. <laughs> Well, you you certainly listen. You made up for it tonight. You're a nice guy. The book is fantastic. Uh, how are you doing health wise these days? I'm doing okay. Good days, bad days. Fortunately, I got more good days than bad. That's good. We're glad to hear that. Hopefully, you continue with some good days, and hopefully, people go out and get this book. It's a great read. It really takes you inside to an era of baseball. You know that some of the younger kids don't really know about. Um, and if they've never seen you play, I suggest they go out on YouTube. Uh, you know, do you watch the game these days? And if you do, is there a player out there that reminds you of yourself? Uh, the kid that just got hurt in San Diego. Same thing with his name. Oh, uh, Tatis. Tatis, that's it. Okay. I, I've watched him a couple times, and he's got flash. I mean, listen, I, I cannot remember a, a greater arm in the game than you. I mean, that entire Pirates outfield was scary, but your arm was just, it was a cannon. It's like, and so accurate. Um, that, and every single time, you know, you came up to bat against the Mets, we all dreaded it because we knew what was coming. So uh, I thank you for so many great years in the, in the game and, you know, playing it right. And we appreciate you coming on tonight. Well, I appreciate being on. You got it. The Cobra, Dave Parker.